Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, whether it's 40,000 or 40 million people, some challenges are the same for CIOs. Well, I think at the end of the day, we all have the same challenges. The, you know, the CIOs of those organizations would nod their heads in agreement if I said that, you know, I spend half my day today sending out emails to people to take their security training. Getting ready for what innovation requires. If we don't know how to leverage these emerging resources at first, that's okay. But we have to be open to new ideas and the possibility that initiatives won't be successful. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. A new group of state governments, as well as local governments and universities, are joining StateRamp. StateRamp is a nonprofit that launched in early 2021 to rate and rank cloud vendors on their security practices. The University of North Carolina system, along with Fayetteville State University, are the first higher education institutions to join. The K-12 Security Information Exchange is joining as well. New York City plans to connect upward of 300,000 residents of public housing facilities with free internet and basic cable. That program has been in a pilot stage this year, but now will eventually cover 200 public housing sites in the city. The U.S. Department of Transportation is accepting applications for two grant programs that make transportation safer, cleaner, and more efficient. The programs make up about $160 million in funding and are expected to be a boon to connected vehicles and transportation efficiency. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. The city of Urbana, Illinois, is modernizing its fire department's core IT system. That modernization will pull the system into the cloud, and the latest in a string of projects in the city's digital transformation, and a key piece of how Urbana collaborates with the greater Champaign-Urbana area in central Illinois. The overall area has upwards of 200,000 residents. Sanford Hess is the IT director for the city of Urbana. It's coincidentally where I live. Sanford tells me about how the city is approaching the refresh, as well as what he has in common and doesn't with other levels of government. Well, the city of Urbana, just to give context here, is about 40,000 residents. So we, from the city perspective, have police, fire, public works, community relations, building permits, all that kind of thing. So we're always going through a process of iterating on business systems. So for example, we just kicked off this week a new project with the fire department who's gonna replace their core system. We're still in process on a similar replacement for police. And, you know, different departments have needs that kind of pop up all the time that we're, they work with the IT department to figure out the best solution. And, and that's, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things I think that shifted in the last, I don't know, 10 years about my role. I've been here at the city for nine years. And so, you know, one of the things that we try to do is be collaborative with the departments, but recognizing that most of the time, if not all the time, they're going to be going outside and buying a solution off the shelf. And our job is to make sure that that purchase is done in a productive way, that the project kicks off well, that there are touch points we have to deal with, that's fine. But ultimately, it's it's more and more the department systems are you know in the cloud. So even these days, very little that we're running on our own servers. Um, and then beyond that, we're doing other projects, which I could list about 150, but the big ones are we're kicking off a website, redo, and always, always, always cybersecurity. 
let's talk about the the system refresh uh, with the fire department. I mean, tell us a little bit about maybe where where they are now and and sort of where the the hope is that they're going to go next. Well, the system used by fire is actually a very widely used one called Firehouse. And Firehouse is classic client server architecture, meaning it's running on a box here at the city and you need a PC to connect to it. The PC has to be on the network. It's it's all the old school methodology of how a system works. It's a SQL server database behind the scenes. And they've just, you know, part of it is that the vendor has announced end of life which in a lot of times is the ultimate driver for why change occurs, but also this, they'd outgrown the system. So we had, we had known that they did a RFP, identified what their core requirements were. It was a good process. And they went through to demos and selected what I think is going to be a really successful solution because I was very impressed when the vendor showed up, I, I you know, showed up at zoom meetings, right? That's how it is these days. But, when we started the project and they seem to have a good project implementation plan and they're already working on gathering the core codes. It's, it's just the right process is going on and data conversion interfaces. Those are the kind of things that it is helping with. But ultimately the good news is that the department, the fire department has bought in on the process and they're, you know, hands-on making decisions about how the system should be set up. And that's fabulous because ultimately at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want them to take ownership of how the system should be configured. So when you're working on a, a project like that, I mean, there's so much, uh, not just consensus building, but so much, you know, sharing and and learning and educating that needs to be done to to explain how a new system is going to work, to explain what that process is is going to be like. But but it is markedly different than maybe it was, you know, probably when you started nine years ago, uh, because everyone sort of has a, a, a higher level, a base level of technology understanding. So how has that changed how you have some of these conversations about what this means and, and how does it uh, help you build some of that con consensus? Yeah, that's a really good point because the firefighters who are starting off now are, you know, 22, 23, 25 years old and are walking in the door with high expectation levels of how computers should operate in their jobs and also a comfort level. And, you know, if you're dealing with firefighters who were in their positions 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, they wanted nothing to do with computers. So that's definitely a shift that we've seen a much greater comfort level, a higher expectation of, well, wait, why are we doing this on paper? You know, there's definitely a transitional you know moment go that's gone on it's past tense it happened and everybody who walks in the door now is just expecting a different level of automation which is great i mean we support that a lot of it you know now is about and again everything's pretty much cloud-based so it's more about what devices do they want to use is are they going to do it on a, a tablet or should they have a laptop and can they do it on their phone so those are the conversations that we're having and it's, it is great because they're the ones who are pushing it as opposed to, you know, 15, 20 years ago where it would have been leadership would be forcing it on the employees. Now it is the employees who are asking for it and the leadership is, you know, going with it. So it, it's a big change. So you talked about how you're, you're sort of in process with a similar um, refresh in the police department. Tell me a bit more about that project and where that's at. The police one is interesting because police, unlike fire, uh, police was using a system that was written by Urbana programmers on a mainframe. 
And literally to this day, we are still running the same mainframe code and they're actively using it every day. So it it is a different process only in the sense that they've been on that same system since the late 80s, if you can believe that, which gives, I mean, there are people who have had their entire 25, 30 year career and only use this one system. Now, that being said, we needed to move off the system for a lot of reasons, but um, so the, the project went fairly well. This was a situation where conversion of data really was essential. And the most important part about the conversion of data was that we were bringing forward history of interactions with people. Uh, because when an officer is making a traffic stop, they're going to be pulling the person's information and looking it up and saying, okay, you know, what's, what's going on with this person? Have we had interaction with them before? So there's a, a life safety perspective that's key with having that kind of history in there. And we went through seven, eight iterations of the conversion routines. It's, it wasn't quite there. And there was a tough decision that had to be made in August about whether they were going to pull the trigger and do it anyway or postpone. And the important thing about a conversion is you only get a chance to do it once. Because once you've converted that data and started moving forward with it, you don't get a redo. So in that instance, the decision was made to postpone. And also, you know, very exciting kind of things about this. That's a shared system. So there are, even in the current mainframe version, there's five police agencies in the area that are all sharing it. The replacement effort was also a coordinated one. It was actually being uh, driven by the 911 center. So... It's a countywide system. There's multiple police agencies, a lot of people who are coordinating together, and so far has been an incredibly positive collaborative process. So let's let's stay on the the line of collaboration. You know, one of the things that I've been saying to folks about Urbana that's so interesting is that you know, yes, we're a town of four, or a city of forty thousand people, uh, but in this greater you know greater Champaign Urbana area. Uh, you know, there, there, there's upwards of, I, I'm told, I've heard everything from 140 to 200,000 in the, in the greater area. Uh, and that's, you know, that's sizable, right? Like that's, that's not a small number of people. So what does your collaboration look like in the, in the greater area and, and sort of how does that uh, change the way that you approach projects like these and the way that you think about your role as a CIO? Well, the collaboration is excellent. And there, there've been a lot of projects that preceded my time. One of the main ones was done in 2009, 2010 with the ARRA money, Recovery Act money to do fiber construction. So fiber was put in the ground and all the government agencies were connected to each other. We have a lot of interaction between our networks. We share information back and forth. The county is a hub of GIS data and other information. The 911 center is another hub of information that we all connect to. So there's a lot of going back and forth. And also just as we move into projects, even like the fire department project, the city of Champaign, which is our brother city across the, across the street, uses the same platform that we do, the current one. And as we moved forward, we included them in our meetings. We had them sitting in the demonstrations that we were watching so that they could take advantage of all the research we were doing. And ultimately, you know, uh, you know, what we hope is that they'll be making the same choice and, you know, we'll continue to coordinate and share information. So 
there's just a term. Yeah, there's a lot of openness to that. And it's I don't know if it's unique to our area or if it's more in our area, but it, it just it seems entirely self-defeating for us all to do our little fiefdoms. And we just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, what about the, you know, some greater collaboration? You know, I know that, that uh, obviously Illinois has its own state IT department that obviously they're doing plenty uh, internal with state government, but I'm sure that there are some interactions at some point. Uh, what does that look like for you? What about in the greater, you know, IT community across the country? What are some of your collaborations or or interactions like in that, in that uh, sector? Well, with the state, we have a good working relationship. There's some services that the state provides that we take advantage of as customers of the state, essentially. For example, they're our internet provider. And by getting internet from them, we get it at a fabulous price. And they also provide a certain amount of denial of service uh, protection. We, I'm watching very carefully what happens with the cybersecurity grants that are just being released at the federal level, which are going to trickle down to the states. And I'm looking forward to some collaboration there about how the state is going to be using that money and, and, and you know, making it available to local entities. So there's a really good working relationship there. Uh, and, you know, in Illinois, I'm going to give a lot of kudos to what went on in probably the last 10 years or so. There used to be decentralized IT. And there was a push at Illinois to centralize that. And, and you know, that that had its own impacts at the state level. But for us at the local level, it was much easier to know that we could deal with the Department of IT, do it and work with their people. And they've been wonderful in terms of that. So happy to see it going on. And and I got to be honest, I mean, we're here in the Midwest. We have, you know, like like you mentioned, Jake, we're a relatively decent sized area. But there's also a lot of very small communities that are scattered throughout the state, especially in the rural areas where they've got basic needs, police, fire, all the same requirements, but no staff and no hope of attracting, say, a full-time IT person. And even if you can find a full-time IT person, can they ever keep up with all the cybersecurity requirements these days? So my continuing hope for these things is to see more collaboration where the state and the county can provide services to townships and localities that are much smaller than we are. And, you know, that's something that I, I see them doing. I, I think it's just going to be a, a gradual process. Um, in terms of beyond the state, that's an area where I personally don't do a lot of, say, collaboration, you know, in any, in any way with other communities, although I am part of organizations that share information. So I, that is a nice, uh, you know, one of the wonderful things, uh, I came from the private sector and in the private sector, we would be a lot more, you know, protective of our information and we would not share information with our peers because there are competitors. But the wonderful thing about the public sector is it's the exact opposite. They're not our competitors. Every single one of them is a, a somebody to learn from who's willing and happy to share all their information. I was in a meeting this morning, we were talking about policies and, you know, it was, oh, well, we don't have a policy for that. Well, let's contact a couple other of the cities that we talk to frequently and see if they have a written policy for that purpose. And that kind of collaboration is just incredible and very valuable. That's great. Yeah. I guess to, to sort of close this out here, you know, if you're, if you were in a room with your, your peers, so, you know, say, 
you know, Sanford from Urbana, Illinois, is in a room with the CIO of Illinois, the CIO of California, um, the CIO of, you know, New York City, and and maybe the CIO of a federal agency. Uh, what do you bring to the table? What do you, what would you say to kick off that conversation? How would you relate to, to those folks? Well, I think at the end of the day, we all have the same challenges. The, you know, the CIOs of those organizations would nod their heads in agreement if I said that, you know, I spend half my day today sending out emails to people to take their security training or, you know, trying to chase down, um, you know, some, I, I think the difference though, of course, is that I personally had to send out the emails to the department has listing the people as opposed to, you know, being able to tell some other people to do it and just have it get done. So I, I that probably the only difference there is the scale of our staff and the amount of time that I have to directly spend doing some of these things that, you know, versus doing the more thought leadership kind of type of work, which unfortunately at the local level, we just don't get as much time to do. So I, I think that's probably the biggest difference, but the challenges we face are the same. It's user expectations, it's successful implementations, it's proper procurement, it's making sure that people are following through on the projects that are underway. Those are all the same challenges. Just the, sc the scale is different of their work versus mine. Uh, anything I missed? Anything that you wanted to touch on in this conversation that, that I didn't get to? All I'd like to say is if you're out there and listening to this podcast and you don't work for public sector, if you're a, you work for a vendor or you're a student or something, people, I really wish people would consider more of a career working for government because it is absolutely one of the most fulfilling things you can do to work for your community or your state or your nation. And at the same time, we have an incredible need for good people. And, and I'll, I'll further say that the need the people who we need have, the roles have changed. Um, maybe 15, 20 years ago, we needed network administrators and we needed, you know, people who were skilled in certain very, uh, you know, technologies. But these days, the kind of people we need are the ones who've done account management or who've done customer support, because a huge amount of what we do is supporting our users and working with the vendors. And people who have that kind of skill set who have worked for a vendor company and have done contracts, that's the kind of skill set that we also need. And, and those, those people, I hope that they would consider if they're hitting a point in their career, they're feeling like they're not totally fulfilled with what they're doing, that maybe they'll look into some of the positions in their local communities, whether it's a city or a county or a park district, a library, all of them need IT help. And it's only gonna you know, get more and more urgent as the years go by, because we're all competing for the same pool of candidates and everybody knows what's going on with hiring these days. Sanford Hess, IT Director for the City of Urbana, Illinois. You can read more about him and modernization at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of Statescoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, Washington, D.C. CTO Lindsay Parker explains how she's unleashing the possible in the digital age. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. 
San Jose, California, in the hub of Silicon Valley, is trying to bring a different approach to innovation in government. Chief Innovation Officer Clay Garner says that part of that approach is understanding that information technology is no longer a traditional discipline. Instead, it's part of everything government does. Garner explains how he's tackling innovative technology in the city. And I'm not a traditional IT guy, as you can probably tell by my role, but IT is certainly no longer a traditional discipline. From bridging the digital divide in our low-income communities to protecting our cities from ever-multiplying cybersecurity threats to enabling a virtual workforce amidst this public health crisis, the expectations on public sector tech and innovation professionals are totally different now. We are no longer a back office function, but at the policymaking table with electeds. We are out in the community building products and digital services to address problems like homelessness, internet access, emergency response, and traffic safety management, and of course, still printers as well. And San Jose really is among the most thinly staffed big city halls in this country. Out of pure necessity, we have got to do more with less. And as GovTech leaders, our departments, electeds, and communities, they look to us to develop the tech solutions that will scale and augment the capacity of our workforce, that help our residents get what they need from us, and that build resilience in our operational infrastructure for the long term. And this pandemic, you know, I don't have to tell you this, but it has totally underscored why government technology and innovation matter. In 2020, Internet access became a front and center issue in San Jose. How were our residents going to study, work, you know, get critical information about free meals and health without a reliable way to connect? For one, we needed to break down interdepartmental silos. So our IT staff, in collaboration with our library and schools, developed a digital equity priority index to target these investments in free hotspots, Wi-Fi, and other interventions in our most struggling census tracts. We saw IT and issues of socioeconomic and racial equity intersecting in a big way. And that's not just an operational change, but a total shift in the mindset of how we invest and measure outcomes. In 2020, we adopted San Jose's first citywide digital privacy policy, which is the first baby step in nurturing an organization that really understands and is starting to care about how technology and privacy intersect. Within our IT department, we also launched a data equity program where we're looking at how to build the organizational mindset, infrastructure, and skills to improve our service delivery through leveraging data on outcomes and equity in San Jose, a big challenge. And you know we're combining service delivery and data on issues that run across departments. This, again, requires a different approach in how we're collaborating in government. Data equity, digital privacy, you know, some of the most important and impassioned policy discussions in our country revolve around these topics. And IT is leading the way forward here. Again, this is a huge change. This is not the same old IT. So how will we meet the challenges that come with it? As IT advances further into this forward deployed posture, again, the expectations and opportunities are shifting. We have to be able to measure the short-term and long-term outcomes of our community investments. 
And San Jose has developed a rigorous framework to regularly update the council and community of this progress and the challenges we're facing with our IT projects. Now we are hiring positions like product managers, designers, data equity leads, and digital privacy officers. We are collaborating with outside organizations to co-create products like Coding It Forward, local universities, and the United States Digital Response. We've built youth mental health apps, you know, and tools to support police transparency. Again, you know, these are new and important areas for our community, for IT as well. I'm guessing that, you know, these are not positions or partnerships that you would have seen in an IT department 20 years ago, or maybe even 10 years ago. And with these new positions, you know, more early career talents, new skill sets that managers might not be familiar with, we need to foster an environment that is iterative based on these changes. We need to understand how to motivate engineers that don't care about a stable civil service role. How do we communicate our community service mission to talents? We need to create flexibility so that our critical individual contributors are not forced into management roles in order to grow their careers. If we don't know how to leverage these emerging resources at first, that's okay. But we have to be open to new ideas and the possibility that initiatives won't be successful. That is how IT is going to keep pace with widening demands. So to close, I want to leave you with a question. As IT becomes a more integral function in resident-facing policy and service delivery, how can we institutionalize flexibility in a way which allows us to meet these changing expectations? Clay Garner in an edited segment from his keynote at StateScoop and EdScoop's IT Modernization Summit. You can read more about him and San Jose's innovation journey at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can also see the full version of his remarks in those links too. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.